Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. More on NC State and UVA and Duke and other college basketball later. Scott Fowler is going to drop by on some NFL from the Charlotte Observer, March Madness 2. Our next guest was an All-American and a national champion for the North Carolina Tar Heels in his playing days before a long career in the National Basketball Association. Nowadays, he calls the Tar Heels games with Jones Angel on the Tar Heels Sports Network. He will be there at Cameron Indoor Stadium as a seven-footer. He is, I think it's his first trip there since they renovated the Crow's Nest, which uh, did not favor seven-footers, if I remember correctly. It's Eric Montross. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. How are you? Well, DG, it's good to be back, and uh, it's always fun. The second, Even the second time around, it's just as fun as the first time around, the anticipation, and now you add to the uh, – Add to the mix that I got to figure out where I'm sitting this time around. You know, no more ducking for the national anthem when you can't stand up. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a whole new world for us. So that makes you un American, right? Because you didn't stand all the way up when you were in the crow's nest. Is that what you're reading between the lines, Eric? I think that's what you're saying. It, it is. It actually was Duke, <laughs> um, Duke forcing me to not stand at full attention, which I would like to have done. There's a controversy in there. I think it was, their, it was their way of undermining my efforts to be a true American. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely well done by Eric Montross joining us on the David Glenn Show. The Tar Heels could have been up there behind UVA and next to Duke had they beaten Miami the other night. Instead, the Canes scored 91 points. And now the Tar Heels in the loss column are lumped in within one loss with Clemson and NC State and Virginia Tech and Miami and even Louisville. Where do they go from here, Eric, especially defensively? Because their numbers offensively are off the charts good, including against Miami. But their numbers defensively have to be alarming to Roy Williams at this point. Yeah, well, and I think the good news is that if you're going to look at a glass half full, and, and I'll try to look at a glass half empty in a minute, but glass half full, um, they control their own destiny. They, they got it. They go into Durham and if they beat Duke, then they're, then you have a double buy and you maintain kind of the projected seedings for the NCAA tournament. Um, but if you don't, then, then that's, that's a whole different ball of wax. And I think that the glass half empty, uh, looks a lot more like Carolina all of a sudden has gone back into, uh, what they were doing before their six-game win streak of a lot of pressure way out on the court, getting beat on the dribble drive um, really at, at every turn from every, from most positions. And that, that was something that really stretched them. And so uh, we had seen that correction. Now, whether this is just kind of like a stock market correction and then and, and on Saturday it's going to be different again and it's going to come back and look like the Tar Heels that, we're on the six-game win streak. That's yet to be determined, but um, but I think that's the the concern is that we thought that this piece may have been behind this team. When you look at that starting five, the small lineup: Joel Berry, Kenny Williams, Luke May, uh, Theo Pinson, and Cam Johnson. Offensively, I mean, it is diverse. It is brilliant. It is fast when it needs to be. It is sharpshooting when it needs to be. And, and according to the efficiency numbers, it, it's right up there with Duke and Villanova and the other best teams in the country. Those same five guys are having a lot of the issues on defense that you mentioned as they're trying to work in unison. 
Is there sort of a, an option in Roy Williams' toolbox? It looked like it was Garrison Brooks off the bench against Miami, and he helped with some defense and some rebound. Do you believe it's too late in the game to mess with that five-man small starting lineup? Or do the pluses outweigh the minuses to try, you know, a Garrison Brooks or a somebody else as a possible contribution to the solution? Well, DG, I think, you know, for six games up until the Miami game, um, there, I think most people would have said Carolina is really on a roll and they're becoming largely consistent rather than inconsistent. And so I think that it would be an overcorrection to try and change just based on the data point of the Miami game. Um, I think there were so many good things coming out of the six-game streak prior to Miami that you really want to focus on that and hope that that comes back and that this was just a hiccup. You know, there are not a lot of teams that go more than six games within the ACC without a loss. And then I haven't looked at our at the across the conference to see who else has done that this this year. But I'm guessing it's just a couple and maybe just Virginia outside of Carolina and, and maybe Duke did it early on. Um, but I but I think that uh, so I think that you don't mess with it too much right now. You hope that it comes back because really the the biggest component to Carolina's success over the course of the season, we know that they have some defensive problems. They have had defensive problems for a lot of years. The high screen and roll and the the pressure way out has always been something that hamstrings Carolina. Um, and so when they drew back in and became a little bit more protective of the of the middle. Um, that allowed their offense to take the priority and really shape their wins and losses. The defense obviously was a, was a, was back there and it made a difference. But I guess all that is to say, and maybe not very clearly, but I guess all that is to say, this offense is too good to put it on the shelf. And and when it's when it's at its best, I think it covers up even a modestly good defense. Was there a lesson learned in Carolina's victory over Duke in Chapel Hill earlier this year, or is this just one of those where you kind of have a feeling that even if it lives up to the hype, it's it's going to come down to the wire? Oh, I think it's going to come down to the wire. I mean, I think it just it always does. And and uh, you know, in our business, uh, DG, you look at trends and you look at averages and you look at all the things, and and this. This one comes back to what it always does, which is there are some outliers. There are the anomalies, the 20-point victories, the 20-point losses. But by and large, this has been nip and tuck. And, you know, even when you look at the numbers from last game, neither team shot particularly well. Duke shot 56% in the first half. Carolina shot 44 in the first half. Both teams were in the low 30s in the second half. Um, and it was still a thriller. And, and both teams still, you know, you score 82 and 78 points. That's still a fast-paced game. There's still that intensity. Both teams still had four players in double figures. There was just a lot going on. I think that there's no reason to suspect that even if the production numbers, even if Grayson Allen doesn't shoot terribly well again, even if Carolina doesn't shoot terribly well yeah. from the perimeter, I still think it's a thriller. His name is Eric Matras. He will be there Saturday night. I'm sure the Cameron Crazies will treat him well, even as an ex-star for the Tar Heels. Thanks for the time, as always, man. I'll, I might see you Saturday night. Well, uh, I'll be looking for you. Thanks, man. Eric Matras. He rarely tweets, but he does have a presence there at Eric Matras.